time we've actually had a chance to talk to Rock City Freddy of Data Rock over the course of this quarantine. My brother-in-law was able to talk to him back in October, and I was able to chat with him recently over Zoom video. And this was another opportunity we had to have a real in-depth conversation with Frederick. He's such an amazing person, so knowledgeable, and he's able to bring so much to the table, especially for aspiring artists. He again recaps about where he was born and raised and how he got into music. He talks about the success of Data Rock and really what he's been doing over the course of this quarantine. And one of those things was writing and putting out a solo record. He talks about the solo live stream he did where he performed the whole album. He was able to acquire like a string section to accompany him. And he talked about that and how he didn't have very many rehearsals. <laughs> he only had a couple and he performed this live stream at the venue they recorded all these iconic Norwegian black metal records, which was truly fascinating. And just all the stories he talked about, how Steve Aoki really broke their band in the States. He got them on the front page of MySpace. He was friends with the dudes from MySpace, got them on the front page for two weeks and how that really changed their career which all stemmed from a DJ in Australia putting them on Triple J Radio and they made their big countdown, ended up landing at number 12, but having all eyes on them in Australia was massive. They played a festival and I guess they got stopped at Customs because they're a musician and they asked three questions. They're like, so are you guys a band? They're like, yeah. And they said, are you from Norway? They said, yeah. And they're like, are you Data Rock? <laughs> and then the entire customs and everybody that worked in the airport that was in that particular area, we were all singing fa fa fa. He said it was just like a musical. It was a crazy experience. But he goes into all these amazing stories. And you can watch it, the video version. It's up now on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. You can find the other interview there as well with Frederick, which my brother-in-law did uh, earlier on back in October. And all our past interviews are up there as well. We'd love it if you subscribe to our YouTube channel, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, all at Bringing Back Pod. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. We're Bringing It Backwards with Rock City Freddy. Tell me about where you grew up a little bit first. Okay, so I'm sitting, it looks like I'm sitting in the woods. I, I'm yeah, not, it's I'm actually, beautiful. I, well, thank you. I, but, but I actually live pretty... Uh, not downtown exactly, but in the middle of a city called Bergen. And that's okay. th this is a music city which kind of uh, grew into uh, some kind of worldwide recognition as a, as a music city because of black metal. I don't oh, even know sure. if you're familiar with yeah, Oh, yeah. yeah so, I actually had a okay. friend growing up in high school that was like obsessed with black metal. Oh, really? Like Cradle yeah. of Filth and Mayhem and a lot of, like all those bands yeah. loved that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and like, well, those guys actually recorded like Mayhem, Gorgoroth, um, well, all the all the classic, uh, uh, like legendary black metal or uh -huh. first black metal albums were actually recorded in the concert hall where I had my my release concert for this album. Really? So so when I did the release album, I had I had a harp, a cello, a bratch, and a and a, and a violin, and it was me singing and playing the guitar. But the, the place I, I did the release concert was actually the, like the cradle of black metal, Norwegian black metal, true that's, Norwegian black that's metal. That's so fascinating because the record isn't black metal one bit. No, 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 not at all. 
but it but it's it's funny because the guy who did the sound for the for the stream he uh, well he, he no he, he tours with kings of convenience and boy pablo and sometimes does sound with data rock but he was one of the original metal sound engineers so i've known him since i was like 12 because 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 yeah because because i mean it's a pretty small town mm. I guess it kind of works a little bit like how Los Angeles is, is a is a place where when you visit Los Angeles, like nobody is from Los Angeles besides right. Steve Aoki. Like nobody <laughs> is from Los Angeles, right? Right, right, and, exactly. And, and 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 Bergen is like it's the town where I mean Norway is really small, man. Well, it's actually a pretty big country, but it's only five million people here. Oh, that's so, not big. Yeah, that's smaller than L.A. Well, it's it, like it, half it's the not, size of LA. <laughs> yeah, but the, but 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 it's crazy. The coastal line of Norway is the same as the U.S., like both sides. So, oh, so it's a yeah, so it's a huge country, but it's not many people living here. And and Bergen is the music town where all the weirdos from, I guess, all over the country would move, because because we had like this really exciting music scene where you didn't really have any. Well, you had some, but you didn't have a lot of like professional music industry uh -huh. uh, people here. You just had studios and a creative scene, right? Sure. So, yeah, and it was very open and inclusive and it wasn't very competitive. So everybody was very collaborative. And for instance, when we wrote our first contracts, we got uh, our friends in like Kings of Convenience and Enslaved and, and, and so on to to help us go through all the details because they're you know very open about their contracts and their positive and negative negative experiences. So that's nice to very, have. I mean, like yeah. to have people kind of giving you feedback instead of just being like closed off and saying, "Yeah, good luck." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And th and that's kind of the benefit of a small town, right? So mm -hmm. so it's a it's a small town. It's the second largest city in Norway, but it's still a really small town. So. Mm -hmm. So it's like you know, in a in a small town, like if you if you trash something, you don't know for sure that the person you're talking to isn't the brother or sister of a person oh, affiliated sure. to another band or whatever. You know? Yeah. So you get this really, yeah. So it's like it's the small town vibe, but it, but at the same time, it has kind of a, a big town music scene because it must be something like thirty, pretty big international careers probably more in our little town of only 350,000 people so you have Kygo from Bergen I was gonna say Kygo I was gonna ask because he's like obviously massive currently I mean, yeah yeah and he's from Norway but yeah, he's, he's from, from the same this... town yeah uh, his father actually has an office like a three minute walk from where I'm sitting right now and wow. his production team has the floor below our uh, company downtown so yeah it's a very small town and and uh, and, and and alan walker he's he, he's he's a he's also a huge um EDM i guess artist? edm artist okay. yeah well he i think he had like one of the most streamed songs of the planet two years ago called faded oh i i remember that song yeah and he and he was just a kid going to school right down the street same school as my daughter coincidentally but anyway so he was just a little kid then he wrote that song fade and then he you know it goes to a billion i was gonna say on uh, youtube didn't and... it have like one of the biggest streaming numbers ever like yeah, a couple yeah. it had like a couple billion streams yes yeah <laughs> and it was completely absurd the kid was just a, like a, a pupil at a 
actually a Christian uh, school, high school. So he was like this. It was the first song he ever made. And, and that's, that's what happened to the guy. And I think, I think the reason why everything happened with him was because some Japanese gaming music um, channel on YouTube uploaded his song and then boom, off it went. I've heard a few artists that were able to blow up that way. Like they'll, yeah. their song went into like an anime YouTube channel or something. And it got like yeah, yeah, yeah. crazy yeah. amount of fans. Yeah. And it's like this kid who's just a student at a high school ends up having more streams that year than, you know, Beatles, Rolling Stones and Michael <laughs> Jackson put together. <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> but I think those things happen because, um, I mean, just because of those people themselves but also because this town has been a music town for a long 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 time right mm-hmm. so so in this tiny little town you have those two guys you also have aurora aurora do you know her aurora i'm not sure i'm not familiar okay but she for instance she had the voice of the northern wind in frozen too oh okay and i think she made some of the music for frozen so she's the, she's the the girl who sang the frozen song on the oscars last year you know okay but anyways, and then you have a, a girl called Sigrid, and these Sigrid and Aurora are more like that's more pop, I guess. Mm-hmm. But then you, sure. have, then you, but then you have someone like Roiksop, which is electronic. Mm-hmm. Do you, do, are you familiar with Roiksop? No, I'm not. I'd have to look them up. Oh, you got to check them out. They're 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 great. Uh, and yeah, so 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 it's a very diverse and internationally acclaimed town. Like like Sigrid when she released her first single. Um, I think but even before she released it, she, BBC Radio 1 said she is the voice of next year, even before she released the first single. So she, that, that was official. She was the voice of next year. And mm-hmm. last week she released a new single and she was number one streamed in something like 50 countries, like right away. Wow. So it's completely insane. And then on the other, uh, other side, you have all these black metal artists mm-hmm. and they toured the, the planet and they sold out everywhere they go. So it's like... Mm-hmm. So in the, and, and in the middle of this, you had us. And, and I started up with thrash metal. So even oh, the guys okay. in Enslaved, yeah. So some of, some of those metal guys, like for instance, Enslaved, I've known them since I was 12. I know that sound engineer I, I mentioned since I was 12. Like a lot of us have known each other since we were 12, you know? And at the time we were playing thrash metal, like, you know, old school, I don't know, Metallica or mm-hmm. Slayer. And, you know, Sepultura was my favorite. But, um, and some of them, you know, continued in that same scene and became black metal. And then someone referred to it as Viking metal. And then, <laughs> and someone said progressive metal. And okay. so even, even with Data Rock, we've been touring with a band called Purified in Blood, uh-huh. right? So, so we've been, we've, we've still been affiliated to the, to the metal scene, but also to the experimental electronic scene. And, it all, you know, it's all, it's all so weird. Uh-huh. But all of these guys are just our friends from back in Bergen. So, so sort of when we started traveling the world, it totally made sense for us to play at an experimental art music festival like Sonar in Barcelona or a straight-up rock festival mm-hmm. like Hurricane in Germany or, you know, pop festivals like Reading and Leeds in the UK or sure. even Coachella. Like 2008, we played Coachella, right? Yeah, that's a perfect fit for you guys, Coachella. yeah. Yeah, at least it it used to be. Now it's more of an EDM festival, isn't it? It's like EDM and like way mainstream. It's interesting All how, right. how quickly they've kind of it, 
it evolved, so to speak. I mean, yeah, it used to be like Radiohead and like a lot of yeah. like The Cure yeah. and some of those type. Of, and yeah. now it's like Beyonce and Eminem are headlining. I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. It, it, it's interesting. Like when we played there it was 2008, and and the, the program was super exciting. Like Justice played, Animal oh, Collective played, actually Kowinski and all those at Banger guys played. Uh, like uh, Chromeo played before they were. Uh, a, a success, so to sure, speak. Sure, sure. And I think the headliner the the night we played was uh, Prince. So, oh yeah, okay. You played the same year as Prince then. Yeah, they had yeah. Prince one year. The first year I went it was Paul McCartney was the headliner. Really? Well, yeah. well I mean that's cool. That is cool. Yeah, I mean that he was just cool. uh, that that he he would fit on any bill. I mean, right? But <laughs> yeah, he would. Yeah, no, yeah, nobody yeah, would be yeah, upset. <laughs> but it, but it was uh, no, but it was it was it was a very different festival back then, and it was uh, um, it wasn't really Valley Girls with hippie makeup. It was like right. a real music scene. It felt like sure. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's so it's so crazy to me how that festival has just become like this huge like international like thing like oh, it's oh the man, biggest yeah. thing ever like it sells it literally yeah. sells out before they release the lineup really yeah it's it crazy damn but it, and also i think back in the days it, it, it was just one weekend but now it's split into two separate weekends yeah it used to be like, like it only used to be like one it went from like one or two days to three days oh, yeah. to like yeah. two weekends. It's yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty yeah, soon it's gonna also, be like two weeks long. <laughs> yeah, probably. I mean, it's probably because it, it used to be some I don't know creative outlet, but now it's a, a, it's, it's a commercial money maker. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what happens, unfortunately. It's mm -hmm. not unique for Coachella. No. But then I mean, you you still have some festivals that are still keeping it real, like Primavera, and well, there are a few. There are a few left. Yeah. And I, I got to say, I'm really happy uh, to see that in, in, in Europe or the UK, like now you have like, like real rock and roll is coming back with like, mm -hmm. you don't you do, slam dunk, you, I think is one of the big ones there. Yeah. And idols. I really love idols. Yeah. That's oh, cool. yeah. Yeah. And you see them live. And that's like, OK, that's that's how music used to be. That's sure. you know, pure energy, a lot of attitude, very political content, blah, blah, blah. You know, mm hmm. Yeah, that is that is real. But the no, I think I, I really like Shame too. Like the new band Shame, you should check okay. them out. Check them out. They're really really good. I haven't, it's a little I haven't bit, heard of them. It's it's a little bit new wave and post punk, but it's I mean, they they look like they're like nineteen or eighteen. <laughs> I don't know, like very young. Sure. Yeah. So so and I'm and the same thing in Norway. Like you have a artist in Norway who, who became huge because Billie Eilish said she loved her. She, her name is girl in red oh yeah i know girl in red yeah so suddenly i like all these young people playing the guitar again and actually writing chord structures with a logical melodic evolution right. on top what a, what a concept <laughs> right what a concept yeah. oh it's amazing it's not just a loop with a different melody in the verse and the chorus like yeah and, I, and that's one of the things that I, you know i I was afraid people would uh, go into such a strong shock that they would stay in a coma for years from this new album because it was so many chords in my new album. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> chords it's, all over the place. It is chords. <laughs> and I love the clean guitar you use throughout it. Oh, it sounds yeah, like thanks. a clean guitar. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, because my, 
it's pretty lo-fi because it's recorded actually in the house next door. It's just our our home home studio. Oh, okay. It's just a it's just a it, the whole thing is recorded in Data Rocks and our record company is basically rehearsal space slash studio, not a very professional studio, just a little simple mm-hmm. studio. And then I was thinking, like initially, I just wanted it to be like uh, a little bit of a punk vibe, but without the distorted guitars. And mm-hmm. uh, totally. I, and I, I was even considering not using drums. <laughs> but uh, that would have been cool. I, I mean, it sounds yeah. rad as it is, but that's an interesting thought. Did you know? Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know why. I actually, you know, I play everything on the album myself, and and uh, I think drums are so loud. So I actually, I always when I play drums, I have like serious ear protection. I look like a joke when I play drums because it's. <laughs> I think it's so loud. So I need like. Yeah, you know the things you wear when you work. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, like the machine. thing, like the sure. Yeah. My kids yeah. had those for like the first concerts we take them to. They like, yeah, they're like they look like headphones, but they're just like a band that like uh, yeah, protects exactly. your ear. <laughs> yeah, so when I record drums, I have like small headphones in my ears, and I have these protection things on top. And one of the things I really like uh, like is there there is a there's a few really weird bands that sort of snuck their way into the, the album and it's uh for instance there's a really really interesting uh, band called us maple i don't think they're around anymore but they're really particular they're, they're so fucking weird oh yeah uh, I, I know i know who they are no way really yeah, well i know oh, who they shit. are because um there's an alkaline you know who alkaline trio is yeah yeah, yeah. They have a song on their first record where they talk about that band. They reference really? them. No yeah. way. Yeah, they talk like about nobody talk- knows this band. Oh, let, what's you, the name okay, of the it, song? Hold, I'm gonna look it up while you while you're talking. Okay, uh, I'm gonna tell you if if you want like a quick introduction to uh, U.S. Maple, check out the song "Letter to C.C. Top," where he sings about Billy Gibbons. And it's, it's very confusing. Everything they do is very confusing. But he, obviously, he wrote a letter to to Billy Gibbon, he says, Billy Gibbon. But the, anyway, so the way they play the drums and the guitars and everything, it's so, it's so weird. I just love it. So like, I, I really love like a lot of weird bands. Like, you know, The Fall is, you know, I, it's not very The Fall inspired this album, but, the, but, but that ethos of The Fall, I really, I really love the way they, they play everything, right? Mm-hmm. And then US Maple does some of the same oddities. I really love the, like the way they think guitar and, and drums and everything with like C and Cake and Tortoise and all that stuff. So, and one of the things that all these bands have is the complete opposite of a Travis Barker snare drum. It doesn't sure. say spewing. It doesn't say spewing. It doesn't even it doesn't have, you know, it doesn't say spewing. It says just, you know, <laughs> so it's like, you know, I don't know what it's called in English, but the metal stuff underneath the snare drum. Oh, yeah, makes, like the little, the, I don't know what they're called either, but I know what you're talking about. Like the little beads that kind of run under it. Yeah, that make, make, makes it sound like uh, metallic. And, and it's, I really love when you don't have that on a snare drum. So it, it almost sounds like a tone. Like when the snare drum is just a very deep tone. So that's one of the things I wanted to, if I wanted to use, if I had to use drums, I wanted to have a snare drum without the metal stuff underneath because I wanted it to be kind of mellow. Like the doom. And more like yeah, like yeah, the, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, and the same. So, so, the, so the guitar is actually a Gibson ES three thirty five from nineteen seventy six. Really, you know, it's not a yeah. So another, it's not a Telecaster through 
some, you know, I don't know, uh, screaming uh, distortion pedals. It's, a lot of the guitars is, as you say, it's very clean. It's just straight to, to a Fender Hot Rod DeVille, and it's supposed to be mellow, you know? Mm-hmm. No, but, it's but, a killer but, sound. I the, the record is, it, you described it perfectly when you said it's kind of like a punk rock album without the distortion. Yeah. Like, I love that. <laughs> yeah, well, that was what, kind of what I, what I wanted to do. And, 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 you know, those kind of songs, you could, you could probably easily like overproduce it and put in, you know, huge synthesizers and the spewing snare drum and, sure. you know, the reverberation. So it sounds like you play in front of 100,000 people in a huge hall. I just wanted it to sound like someone playing a little concert in a student uh, uh, dorm or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so you had the opportunity to play the record um, in, in that hall that you're talking about, that black metal was kind of formed. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, that, like a live stream was, or something. Yeah. That was insane. Like I, I can send you some, I can upload a few songs from the, from the concert. Listen up, this is insane. So I, I wrote the album, right? I recorded it basically at home. And this is a no budget uh, project. Like this is a really like super low budget uh, project. So, so it wasn't like we didn't, every, th- every time Datawork does something, like for instance, all the, the last three singles we did is mm-hmm. basically produced by Steve Dubb, a five times Grammy award winning producer of The Chemical Brothers. Right. Sure. So we, yeah. we always go like, I think we need, we need help to make this work. So we always go to some pretty expensive and professional collaborators. Mm-hmm. But with this, with this one, I was like, this is a no budget uh, thing. So I'm just going to do everything myself and la la la. And then we, we sent the recordings to this high profile, very like conservative. Uh, well, it's the biggest art music festival in the Nordic countries. And it's been around for 63 years. So it's like, it's a huge concert hall. It's all very serious, blah, blah, blah. And I sent them the album and I said, uh, this is the new album. I really love to play. I could play in a public toilet, whatever. <laughs> right? <laughs> and, then, and then I was dumb enough to write. Uh, and I have arrangements for a string quartet featuring a harp. And they were like, yeah, shit, let's book it. And they booked me to the main concert hall. Right? Wow, and uh-huh. and it's a big deal, like it's a it's a big deal, and then and, and I was like, no, this is twelve songs that I've never played for anyone before, and I have to perform them with four professional musicians, and these are like the shit, like uh-huh. these are these are in in um, I mean they're in a, a, a again internationally award winning symphony orchestra, but also in the the the, the national. Uh, ensemble of contemporary art music. So wow. these are like, these, like pro uh, just pros. one of them. Yeah, super pros. And only one of them were, was, were from Norway. One of them were from the US. Uh, two of them were from Lithuania. And I, I, I never met them before. None of them, right? So I had two short rehearsals because it's so goddamn expensive working with people <laughs> like that. So I only had two short rehearsals that, you know, put together. That's like uh-huh. running through the songs like twice. Right. And and the and the orchestral arranger, he knew that these were like super pros. So he wrote these really elaborate, super complex uh, ar- arrangements, string arrangements for these people. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "What the fuck? How are we gonna do this?" <laughs> and then so so, so and, and and also, I mean, the whole album is just thirty uh, twenty eight minutes. 
mm-hmm. right? So I had to, I had to, I had to add on um, at least something like eight additional songs just to fill up an hour. The set, yeah, yeah. So he even had like a few songs that, I, that n- nobody had ever heard before. They were made for the concert. Oh, really? So it wasn't like you just pulled data rock songs and, and did. Well, yes. Yeah. Yeah. But but you also played songs that hadn't been released before. Yeah. Yeah. Because I decided because I decided like, okay, say, say this album is going to be hated. Like nobody likes likes it. Terrible reviews or whatever. So I just thought, okay, this is my opportunity to record a live um, recording of the material. So, oh, there you so go. This, yeah, so, so this fall, I, I'm going to release a live album from that concert. Uh, and, um, and, and, and because of that, I, I mean, I, I thought, let's have some exclusive material. My point being, I was so goddamn nervous. I, I, I had like 12 glasses of water during sound check, and I thought it was going to faint, right? <laughs> because everything these guys played was like, what the fuck? And, and we didn't have a conductor. So it was like, completely random who who had the lead and oh who, wow who sets the tone and and only on a few of them i had a, like a dominant rhythm guitar most of them i was so insecure about like i, I don't even it's so complex some of the songs uh-huh i really had to like concentrate just to remember where the hell my hands go right <laughs> okay so it was like and, and uh to my huge surprise it worked out well so, yeah, I can't wait to hear it. That sounds that sounds amazing. The record is rad. I can't, I can't imagine what it sounds like with like a full, you know, simple like orchestra ish behind it. Like with the yeah, harp yeah. and the, you know, you said there's a cello on the album. Yeah, or in the, in yeah. The, yeah, that's rad. I can't wait to hear yeah, that. No, yeah, it's gonna. Yeah, it's, uh, was, was me, it hard to like neither. re? Was it hard to like reimagine some of the data rock songs to do it? No, because one of the things I kind of uh, bugs me a little is that a lot of people they they have this uh, a lot of, I mean most of the people who know State Rock know State Rock because of a song or two perhaps right. three and all those three or one song songs are kind of in the same vein right fa 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 give it up perhaps I'm really in true stories I don't know but but the, but uh, and those songs are I mean they're very beat driven right sure we actually we actually had a, a booking agent for 10 years who thought everything was programmed and we're like are you serious <laughs> no it's not this played live with additional <laughs> drum machine elements mm-hmm. but uh, what do you mean so anyway so 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 uh, I thought it was really nice to be able to to show that even these data rock songs are pretty classic songwriting guitar mm-hmm. songwriting most of them are actually right and and if you look if you look at Data Rock's uh, back catalog, it's something like 120 released tracks or something. It's pretty. Mm-hmm. It's it's a lot of tracks. Yeah, you get a lot of songs. And yeah, and 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 some of them are pretty close to what you find on my solo album. So so if you listen to, for instance, our second album called Red, mm-hmm. the last song on the album is called uh, New Day's Dawn. And when I played that in my solo concert, it sounded just like. The new material. Okay, so you were able to cut. It wasn't like you picked out the like fa 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 for example. You, you picked out songs that were more in the vein of what you were doing. Yeah, the new yeah, record. But, okay, but I, but I felt I had to do fa 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 too, obviously. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah. So, so but we did them very toned down, and we kind of kind of showed. For instance, fa fa fa. Right. You can imagine you've heard it at a party, and everybody goes, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. But the song, but the song is very the lyrical content and all of that is very similar to the stuff from the new album. Mm-hmm. Like 
I need a shot. I need a shot of ambition. That's not very optimistic. I need a hit. I need a hit of nutrition. I need a fix. I need to fix my ignition. If you want to whip me into shape, I need a plan and a mission because mm-hmm. I'm on a ride fast going nowhere. And, and that's pretty, I mean, youthful. Uh, what's the English word? Um, uh, oh, I don't remember the, the word, but uh, depressed. Oh, yeah, lyric, yeah, right? sure. And, it, and it's really interesting. Like, how did Coca-Cola decided that, that was a brilliant song to use in, in a worldwide campaign. <laughs> like, why, why do you do this? So, and, uh, and it's really interesting because you, people have heard them in advertisement for Coca-Cola, Apple. Yeah, I was gonna say well, Apple the same is a big one. Yeah, and, but the song also went into an international campaign for Google. It was in Sims, it was in um, FIFA. FIFA. I, was, I was gonna say FIFA. Yeah, and, and I mean, tons of other films. Like recently, it was in the Kajillionaire film. By, uh, it was produced by Brad Pitt. But, and, and, and a few weeks ago, it was in a new episode from The Blacklist. And that kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. But the rest of it is like, it's, it is actually a pretty sad song. Right. Kind of, so, I, I, so I feel like people have a little bit of, a, what is it? How is the phrase? Screwed. Uh, um, yeah, like a warped, uh, warped sense of what the song is really about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also what the Hedwak is about. Because if you look at our history, like the kind of music that we we played, it wasn't mainstream at all. Mm-hmm. It was the kind of music where, you know, weirdos would come to a Daydrug show and we had like the weirdos party. It wasn't, <laughs> it was, it wasn't like the popular kids party. It was the weirdos party, right? Mm-hmm. So, so to our shows, you would have, you know, well, the freaks and the geeks, right? That was the whole point of Data Rock. And, and if you live in that world, you don't write happy-go-lucky music, right? So most mm-hmm. of our songs are like pretty fucked up, right? And, and the kind of scene that we've always been part of has always been pretty demanding when it comes to, you know, challenging the listeners a little bit. Mm-hmm. But we have a few songs that are kind of straight-up pop songs with electronic elements and beats and all of that mm-hmm. but but the reality is that uh, so much of data music is so weird right and i thought it was really nice to sort of present the material like this is the, this is what the material is like without the drum machines right and 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 the and the track suits and the jumping around and the you know lighting show and the visuals and blah 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 or the 18 year old kid going crazy because that might be an intelligent sensitive person perhaps he's not an idiot it mm-hmm. just happens to be 18. Just, and he wants and to have fun. To yeah. Right? <laughs> so, and it was really nice to be able to show that the songwriting of Theater Rock is, I mean, it's not just four chords. Right. Maybe. It's a lot more intricate than people maybe assume. Yeah. That's so, that's really fascinating that you're able to kind of bring those songs into the set that you're doing with the new material. Yeah. And, and I have to tell you, I was so happy because I, because uh, I've been playing this little Steinberg guitar with Data Rock forever, right? Mm-hmm. And the neck is so, what is it called, slim? Yeah. And, and, and it's, very, it's very thin strings, and it's very easy to chop on it, right? But these new songs, it's like, really, you have to do like all these weird... Intricate hand things. movements. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fingers, and then, and then, positions. Yeah, and, and you know, when you sit like this and you play a guitar, it's up here, right? Mm-hmm. 
But when you play a rock show, you don't want to have your guitar up here because then you look like the bass player of uh, B42s or something. Yeah, you so, want to have it down like a like, yeah, a, like a punk like, rocker. <laughs> yeah, and then it's like you, you really like Joe Strummer or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you want to be Joe Strummer. So, but you can't do anything there. So then you have to lift <laughs> it up. And 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 actually, my and, and the ES the Gibson ES335 was so damn heavy that my my back started to ache and my neck and so I have to had to go to the rehearsal space like twice a day and rehearse for half an hour or one and a half hours like a couple of times a day just to get used to playing all that shit right mm-hmm. and then eventually I was so happy with just hearing the songs just vocals and guitars so then when we added the strings I was like it takes away a lot of the essence of the songs because when you do all these elaborate ar- arrangements you sort of you're doing the opposite of what I tried to do with this album, which which was to say to myself and to kids that the essence of the song isn't the production. The essence of the song is a basic chord progression and a melody and the execution right? of the yeah yeah and and also the execution of whatever lyrical content you have. Like you can sing some words and really put some depth behind it or not, right? Mm-hmm. But then when we put all of these arrangements in, it was like. Oh no, no, no! We're basically we're doing just like old school heavy production. Sure, right? Yeah. With the concept with the new record, does I mean it's called Rona Diaries? So I'm, I'm yeah. Was it something that you ever like? Was a solo record ever anything you had planned, or was it just kind of something like, no. okay, now we're all stuck inside. Let's like I've got some material. Let's kind of put out something that yeah, maybe I- doesn't sound up the straight, like, you know, data rock mm-hmm. record. Yeah, okay, so I'll tell you kind of the logics behind the decision. It was, we, we first we released, well, as you know, we were supposed to do the 15-year anniversary yeah, of the debut yeah. album last year. And, and then you and re-released the record, and you had some, rem- yeah. yeah, the Devo remix, and like some of the, and then you've released yeah. two new songs, right? A couple new oh, songs. Three, 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 three new songs. Three. Yeah, but, and I mean, we were supposed to do a lot of shows, and like it was uh, the 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 15-year year anniversary was supposed to be set up well it was actually in collaboration with record store day internationally oh, okay. oh right so it was yeah so it was it, it was a release in collaboration with record store day and they were supposed well it was the first vinyl release of that album ever oh i didn't and, know that i wasn't aware of that yeah yeah man and and uh, and we even uh, got um, a writer to write this like super if you go to datarockmusic.com you can read an article about that album which it'll take you two hours to read it because it's so fucking in-depth. Like, because <laughs> everybody's so confused. We made that weird album. Uh-huh. Like, nobody thought anything was going to happen to that album. And then we ended up playing a thousand shows in 36 countries because of this weird album, right? So, cool. so For us, it was a big deal to do this, this, um, this anniversary. And then everything just shut down because of COVID-19, right? Uh-huh. And then anyway, so, so we, we were pumped. We were like ready to go out and tour and celebrate these all these years with this album. And then nothing happened. Right. So we were like energized and, 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 we, and we really worked to, to get back to how we performed and wrote that first album. So we're like, OK, we have all this energy and we not know where to use it. So, so we just decided, so, OK, so fuck it. Let's make, let's make some new songs. And then we became really happy with the new songs. And we ended up in this collaboration with Steve Dubb in, 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 in the UK, who, who, did, who, who has done many, many things, but everything you've ever heard from Chemical Brothers. Okay. Right? And then we get these super positive reviews from all over the world and nothing happens. 
Of course, because everything shut down, right? Right. And then we did it. That was called, I remember, was it TikTok? It was. Yeah, TikTok was, was one of the hits. Yeah, but first it was Digital Life, and then it was TikTok. And again, like really positive reviews, and people loved it, and then nothing happens, right? And then mm-hmm. we did Video Store, and again, like very positive reviews, but nothing happened, right? And then it was like, why spend more time on this very costly process of releasing this this data work material when there's nothing that can happen? Mm-hmm. Because we don't have the marketing budget of uh, of a huge pop act, right? Mm-hmm. So we're so de- dependent on being able to travel around and meet journalists and meet uh, the fans or m- m- music enthusiasts. But nothing happened. I was like, ah, fuck it. Then I can just just as well do something where I don't expect much to happen mm-hmm. and and then when that happens your shoulders completely go down and you can just you know do something kind of, for the do something for yourself almost like you're, yeah, yeah yeah where you're not as yeah. focused on like writing this hit that you can tour around the. i mean it's almost like <laughs> oh no, no yeah yeah i mean well i'm not that the record isn't amazing I'm, but instead of being hyper focused on like yeah. okay we're gonna write this massive hit and then we're gonna tour we're gonna do a thousand dates or you know what i mean like you're yeah, like yeah. you're able to kind of just focus yeah. on the record and put it out there I, i'm guessing that, yes exactly 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 and and you know what it, it took me straight back to when i was a kid and that's why you did you did music you only wrote music for yourself you love music and you want to kind of compete a little bit against the ones that you love and then you want to try to do something that they perhaps would like to mm-hmm. and then i did this album and for instance jerry casale from devo he wrote me, he was like complete, he loved it. And I'm like, but you, Jerry, you're, you're this aggressive Devo guy. You're not supposed to like this. He, was like, he <laughs> loved it, you know? And, uh, and that then I was happy, you know, That's but, but I mean, that must be validating getting that response from, from oh, him, dude, right? yeah. Yeah. And you're sitting in this little town over here. My hero from Los Angeles writes, me, I love it. <laughs> thank you <laughs> uh, <laughs> no but it but yeah but I, I, I and i think it's so easy to forget what it's all about when you i mean with data Rock, it started off like this is how it started off right mm-hmm. but at some point uh we were part of the income of probably a hundred people right right not only the yeah, people now you have a team us. and then you have people yeah. that are now that are all you know, involved with the, with the record and the release and the rollout and everything else. Right. Yeah. And then, and then because it's not a joke anymore, like bills needs to be paid, food needs to, you know, be bought. And, uh, do you remember that? Yeah. Do you remember like the moment when I'm sure you, you do, when it became like, this is the livelihood of the, of everybody now, like, like this is like let's quit our jobs. Let's focus. This mm. is the the you know the career path that we're that we're gonna ride from here on out. Um. Yeah. I think. Well, it started gradually because because we became so huge in Australia, and we Australia. I I don't I know nothing about Australia at the time. It's like it's a huge island. Mm-hmm. on the opposite side of the planet and people 
are British. What the hell is this, this country? And there's like <laughs> three, three or four cities on the coastline that, yeah. you know, that everyone's at. And like, there's the, the rest of the country, which is kind of yeah. rural. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And as I, so I don't, okay, Kylie Minogue, In Excess, uh, ACDC, and Midnight Oil. I don't know. Right. So like, we, we, you know, Australia, it's, it's really on the opposite side of the planet. Right. So we, we didn't really pay much attention to what was going on there. And then we were booked in 2006, we were booked to do a tour. And in Australia, they have these touring festivals, kind of like, uh, what is it called in the US? Uh, the punk tour. Like punk and travel? I don't know. I'm trying to think of punk tour. Their Vans was always. Oh, like Vans Warped Tour? Tour? Yeah. And then, and, then, and then the same bands travel around. Yeah, and then the Warp Warp Tour the, is the big punk one. Warp, Warp Tour, I think that's it. I, I'm talking about, but that's what they do in Australia. A lot of the tours, because it's so far away. When the artists fly into Australia, they set up like not a festival in one town. The same festival will travel to eight towns, gotcha, or, or cities. Yeah, and anyways, and and we assumed that we were we, we'd be uh, positioned where nobody would see us in a small tent next to the toilet. Right? <laughs> right that's, that's what we, yeah. that's what we assumed <laughs> so and we were like okay oh okay what the hell let's go there like Small ho- holiday to the toilet. yeah yeah and then so, so we went there with the, just three of us because we ha- didn't have a drummer back then and um and, and check it out i had my guitar we had a bass guitar we had a casio mt64 which is a pretty much a child's toy from the 80s and then we had all the backing tracks on a mini disc. That's the equipment we were traveling with. Whoa. All hand luggage. We didn't have a tour manager or a sound engineer or lighting engineer, nothing like that. And then uh, we, we come into the U- to Australia and then they see we're a band. And so in customs, they stop us, obviously, because we have instruments and stuff. And they asked us, uh, are you a band? And we said, yes. Where are you from? We said, Norway. And the third question was, are you data rock? And then really? everybody, yeah. And then everybody in customs starts singing "Fa Fa Fa," like out of a musical or something, right? <laughs> wow. uh, what the fuck is going on? And then, <laughs> and then we, and then we come out to the festival, and then we, and we realize that we're positioned to play main stage before James Brown on an eight-date stadium tour. <laughs> Whoa! So did you guys? You didn't realize. The, no. the success you guys were having in Australia? Like, I mean, were you having a lot of record sales no. there with streams? Like, how are people hearing the, the songs? You don't know? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, so they have something called Australia's Hottest 100. Where oh, Triple J. Uh, the Triple J. Radio. Yeah, yeah, okay. You know it. Okay, okay. So in, in 2000 and whatever, they had 630,000 people vote, and we came in number 12. Wow, okay. And, and it doesn't sound insane, but that means pretty much every person in Australia who cares about music Ends up hearing you a gazillion yeah. times. Right, 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 right. And 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 also the a kind of humor and all of that went really well down in Australia. And so we, yeah, so we would end up like do uh, we did eight national tours in a matter of years in Australia. Like we even played Perth several times. Really? You know? Yeah, and that was so absurd. So and I mean at the time, I mean the whole the whole point of Data Rock is that we were severe slackers. Like we had to start data because we didn't really do anything. Like we were, we were students, terrible students. 
that we were just university students who didn't give a fuck about anything but drink beer. And of course, <laughs> like most, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think like like if you if you had to like put in if you had to choose a character from the film Revenge of the Nerds, like who is who? I'd say everybody in Data Rock is Booger. <laughs> everybody. <laughs> <laughs> No, but and, and and we were like like and and also I think like if you're that kind of person you don't you don't want to get your high your hopes too high because then you'll get disappointed right so mm-hmm. so ah oh, ha ha we're just doing this for fun and oh something is happening in Australia better not pay, pay too much attention to it because it's a bonus if anything good happens but mm-hmm. we don't expect you know you know that kind of yeah so you don't want to like he, yeah think too much to think yeah think too much into it really right because it's like yeah hopefully this thing will work out but we're not going to bet on it (laughs) exactly exactly but then uh i'm not saying we made a lot of money but compared to what we used to make which was nothing we made a lot of money right Mm -hmm. and then we were like that's that's just the joke money let's i mean we were so used to not having any cash so we were like let's reinvest it and try for for england so, so we bought some PRs because we were releasing on our own label, right? We were self-released and ended up with this pretty mainstream success in Australia. And we're like, that's funny. That's interesting. Why the hell? So then we, we, we took the money and, and did some music videos and, and, and bought some PR help in, in the UK. And then the same thing happened there. Like the first tour we did in, in England was 22 sold out dates, right? <laughs> and then we ended up playing like, like all these huge festivals. I'm like, that's a joke. Why the hell is this happening? Let's try for America. <laughs> and, then, and, then, <laughs> and, then, and then we did the same in America. And it was really weird because the kind of sound that we represented is kind of, I mean, if, if you have a punk rock hardcore background, you can hear that some of those elements are in the music. Yeah. And if you, if you have that background and you like electronic music, chances that you like the same kind of electronic music as we did, mm-hmm. right? So the first person in Los Angeles to sort of uh, support us was Steve Aoki. Really? Yeah, because, I mean, Steve Aoki's background is that he, he used to be the screamo singer of a band called This Machine Kills. Yeah. I know. Right? It's, so it's, a lot of EDM guys can, are, are coming through yeah. that, like, emo uh, hardcore yeah. scene. It's interesting. Yeah. And, and he once did a split seven inch with some friends of us from Norway. Oh, Really? Yeah, and, and then and when Dimac started uh, getting some business, they actually signed one of our friends from town called Annie, who, who was the, uh, recently voted the best pop album in Billboard in the US. Annie. Okay. She actually in front of Tyler Swift and stuff like that. That's huge. But anyway, so, yeah. But then, but then okay, so Steve Aoki, uh, he, he also, because t- we, we, t- we once met Steve Aoki, because he's friends with the guys who, who ran uh, MySpace back in the days. Oh, okay. Right? I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, no, me neither. But then we're Tom? like, are you serious? <laughs> no, no, not Tom. Not Tom wasn't there. Tom the only one there. I know. <laughs> no, he was there. Well, I wish he was. <laughs> but then but, uh, and we, uh, we met them at this Winter Music Conference Festival in Miami. And we had lunch with him and those guys. And I'm like, I was like, I just have to ask you, why the hell did we end up being the featured artist on MySpace? Which at the time meant that we were, when you open up MySpace, 28 million people a day would Oh, you were on the us. main page? Wow. Yeah, for two weeks. That's like, for two oh, weeks. man. 
Yeah, and we and, and, and over the next couple of days, we had to like physically okay three hundred and fifty thousand new friends, and and social media wasn't a thing back then. That was the first social media, right? Yeah, really. I mean, there was a couple ones that no one cared about prior to it, but MySpace really changed it, the it world. Did. Really, yeah, it did. And 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 and, and we were so uh, old that we actually replied politely every every single uh message like personally there's something like to be said sick. about that though you know what i mean like i think artists take that for granted nowadays like no one uh, yes the exactly, ones that yeah. really make it you can tell that they put that at like that effort in to be you know like have the gratitude to do that that's incredible yeah but it was also it was also so uh time consuming that <laughs> By the time Facebook appeared, we were already like completely tired of. You're still media. filling out the responses yeah, to yeah. people in MySpace. <laughs> yeah, it, it would be like, uh, "Hi, I'm Scott. I'm 12 years old. I just uh, was. I was wondering, how did you write this or that song?" And then we would actually reply in depth how we were. That's so cool. Imagine how that 12 year old kid felt. Like, oh my god, Data Rock responded to me. Like, wait, what? <laughs> No, he probably it was, printed it was out probably, the email. He probably still has yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, perhaps. Well, I hope. No, but we really connected with people. But 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 when I met the the, the MySpace guys, I asked them like, why did we end up being featured artists on MySpace, which was the biggest thing on the planet right then? And then they started giggling, and they said, he he made us. He, giggling. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like giggling. And I was like, what? Why do you? What do you mean? Well, Steve Aoki, he just happened to like us. And he told his friends at MySpace, you should feature these guys. And that's how we sort of broke through internationally because of those two weeks on MySpace. That's incredible. Yeah. And, and the whole scene we were part of were all MySpace bands. Right? Because at the time, I don't, I don't know if you remember, but like the whole Electro Clash, electronic scene was bands from Brazil, uh, uh, Mexico, Mm -hmm. Australia, Germany, France, uh, Sweden, the UK, even Germany. Like, like you had this, this. Uh, it was called New Rave in Europe. I don't know what it was called in England, uh, in the US. I mean, but, but all these bands was international internet phenomena, and you had never seen that before, mm -hmm. right? So everything. So we would end up playing with Justice all over the world. Wow. We would play with, you know. Uh, someone like uh, CSS from Brazil, they would play everywhere. Or Crystal Castles from the US. Yeah. You know, and all of these people were like, we were MySpace fans. And the only reason why we ended up being like world famous like that was because Steve Aoki, whom we didn't even know, we have no, had no business affiliation to the guy. He made his friends just as a friendly gesture for whatever reason, present us to 28 million people a day for two weeks. That's incredible. Did you Insane. do you know how he found out about you guys? Was it the connection through yeah, like the seven yeah. inch? Yeah, yeah. And he and and his, he had signed Annie, our, our our friend. And he had also signed Block Party. And we were Oh, I didn't know that. He he well, signed he Block Party? Wow. Well, at least at least for one for a singular or, or so. I don't know. But but then he also signed those guys that he had he he did this split seven inch with, which were called they were called J.R. Ewing, like the character from the Dallas series. Okay, and they live and they lived at my apartment when they recorded that album, so we were oh. pretty close. And then, yeah, yeah, that's a brilliant album, by the way. It's called Malstrom. 
But uh, no, so it, it, it was all so random. And then, you know, suddenly you're, you're uh, not staying for guys in a random person's living room when you play a show. Suddenly you have like single rooms. You have a tour manager, you have assistants, you know, like. <laughs> and in it's, the beginning, wild. It was, it's wild to think that somebody can make or break a career like that. Like to think yeah. that Steve Aoki just was like, you know, you should put data rock yeah. on the main page. And then it's like so many eyes on you. And then it just obviously what it obviously has to resonate with people, because if if he picked a band that no one cared about, like if the song wasn't good, right, they would have just been like, oh, this band's just taking up space on the website for two weeks. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, you're right. But 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 but, but uh, it was like uh, that that really kickstarted that did, did what is it called domino effect? Yeah. So so because of, because of that we started appearing in all of these. Um, I mean, we never had like a big marketing budget or anything like that. Like our entire success in Australia is because one person sent one CD to one radio channel, and Triple J ended up playing that album a gazillion times. Who liked? That's the, do you remember who like? had it in their hands like was it a particular dj on their station i come from radio yeah, so yeah. like that, that always fascinates yeah. me yeah it was the doctor oh really and he just like yeah. liked the record and yeah because he had because the duck had a had a had a had a show with the one of his uh, bandmates from whatever their punk band was called and i think he loved it so we ended up like doing interviews with him and stuff and That's he cool. ended up on stage with us in sydney once yeah, I mean, he's still around. He's not in in in, in the Triple J anymore, but uh, he yeah, he was a pretty prominent voice in in uh, in Australian music industry, I guess. So I think he, yeah, he was the one who sort of picked it up. But then it was just something about that sound that connected with so many in Australia that I think like all the radio channels, uh, I mean, all the different shows would play us mm-hmm. like various songs. Like someone would play uh, "Funny Ha Ha Computer Camp Love," but then someone else would play one of the more like punk songs. And so, yeah, but I have to also admit that I think the video games that we, we said yes to had a lot of influence on our career. Because for instance, we know that the 20 or so video games that we're in part of, I mean, they're so huge. It's oh, yeah. incredible. Like FIFA, it's insane. if you get on FIFA, it's, it's like next level, like next level it's crazy. for your band. It's like every person on the planet plays FIFA. It's, I don't get it. It's insane. Yeah, I know. It's so and we're weird. in four FIFA. We're in four FIFA games. Oh my gosh. Yeah. We're, even additionally, Electronic Arts has a European uh, uh, football game called the UC. I don't know. I don't remember the abbreviation. But anyway, it's a football game for Europe. Okay. Like a Champions League or whatever. Yeah. Uh, football game. And we were in two different sims, Need for Speed, Madden NFL, NHL, and all sorts. Insane. Every huge like sport game, like any, any of those games, right? They're like, that's what people wait around for. Like, oh, the new, you know, FIFA yeah. 2022 is coming out. Even if they have 2021 and 20 and ni- they have all of them yeah, prior. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. Yeah. And I'll tell you, once we were supposed to be on the soundtrack of, of GTA, whatever number. Oh, really? Yeah, new, probably then, probably the one that's been around for eight years that my fifth or my my 13 year old yeah, still but, plays <laughs> yeah it, it, yeah it, 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 it was a long time ago and, and 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 damn it those guys something about the it was some glitch in the program i don't know it was postponed by a couple of months and by the time it was released someone else had be, become data rock 
So, oh, oh no, we and could, I, we would this close the GTA too. Oh, oh my no. gosh, I gotta tell my kid, yeah. he's gonna freak out. Well, but he knows yeah. you guys because of FIFA, and his friends oh, really? know you because of FIFA. I'm talking like oh, really? 13, 12, 13, 14 year olds. Really you know your song because of the FIFA game. Yeah, is that incredible? Yeah. <laughs> that is incredible but okay but but and and i mean okay fast forward to 2021 the new fifa and all of that stuff is tiktok oh yeah i mean it's like like the the person i was talking about earlier called aurora the one with the voice in frozen mm-hmm. uh she had a five or six year old song being picked up with by whatever tiktok personality and because of that one person or perhaps it was more than one, but anyways, because of TikTok, her five or six year old song went up, up to like top three played song in so many countries around the planet mm-hmm. because of probably a 15 year old TikToker. Right. Doing a little it, dance I, move to what? A clip of the song, 30 seconds yeah, of the song yeah, and it's yeah, life changing. Yeah. yeah. Isn't it amazing? And I mean, it is, it is amazing that, you know, a kid can have that kind of influence, but it's also kind of sad because, <laughs> because we're, 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 I mean, uh, just before this call, I, I, I received this insane review from Australia by, by this um, uh, writer called Bernard, Bernard Zuel with a Z, Zuel, Bernard Zuel. Okay. And, and the guy, the, the, way, the way he writes his uh, reviews is just so in depth, knowledgeable. Uh, elaborate, mm-hmm. uh, and he can he can he can really pinpoint references going back like forty years. He, 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 his kind of music journalism is what Pitchfork used to be like. Oh yeah, I mean that was an, another like tastemaker publication, right? Yeah, and they they helped us a lot because they get gave us some great reviews. <laughs> <laughs> no, so so but 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 the kind of but, but the kind of writing that me and you remember from music publications mm-hmm. it was it was it was a, they had their own lingo kind of it was it's very like beautiful writing very analytical and knowledgeable and you had to get through that kind of filter to get anywhere mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and and we're so stuck in that thought frame like i, I don't want to uh, collaborate with some kid who can make a hit song with three three chords and a killer beat. I, 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 I bet I could, uh, I, I, sh- I probably should. <laughs> I just can't do it because, because I'm so sort of, uh, well, when I was a kid, I read NME, New Musical Express. Oh yeah, relig- huge. Re- religiously, right? Mm-hmm. We would li- read like Q Magazine, Melody Maker, you know, Rolling Stone Magazine. Kerrang, Yeah, 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 Kerrang, all of that, Metal Hammer, all of that. And we would, that, that was our world. Our world wasn't, this person had a success because of a 13-year-old kid who did a dance to their rim. Mm-hmm. Right. You know? Well, it's, it's, like it's so, just, go ahead. It's, no, no, no. I'm just saying it's just so alien to me. It's so, it's a different way of thinking, you know? I, I, I had this conversation, I was, I was going to say, I had this conversation with somebody recently, actually a couple times on this, on this podcast about the, the idea of like selling out. Like, right. Mm-hmm. Like, that was like the worst thing to do in the early 2000s yeah. or late 90s. It was like Green Day sold out. They, they signed yeah, this yeah. big record contract 
and their sound yeah. is going to change now. And, but now yeah, it's yeah. like every kid on the planet wants to, they want to have the viral success. Like that's what totally. everyone's striving for. Like I want to have that yeah. one video yeah. that's going to go viral. It's not like this. I, they're, you know, this I TikTok know. isn't cool anymore because now they have viral success. It's like, that's what they want. You know, that is what they you know want. What I mean, yeah, it's not that, like people don't really have that. I mean, I don't know, but I feel like people don't really have that uh, sense of, mm, you know, I know, like that's mine and I don't want anyone else to have it anymore. When we when we were kids, it was like if you really liked the band and then uh, a lot of other kids started liking the same band, then you stopped liking that. Right. Band. That's what I mean. Like that was they're not yeah. cool anymore. Like, oh, now you're uh, mainstream. Like, oh, yeah. I can't like you anymore. Like, that's not mine yeah. anymore. You, I know. You've I given know, it yeah. away to everybody else. Like, yeah, yeah. There's not really Metallica's that. Black Album. Sure, that's a huge Nirvana's example. Never mind. Yeah, yeah well, it's, kind of. But Black Album is a great example. Like people yeah. that were, you know, huge fans of the early thrash Metallica, like Master of Puppets, yeah. and then they put out a record like the Black Album, and it's, dude. Yeah. I mean, it's still one of the it greatest was, records of all time. But like people that were new Metallica for yeah that sound were kind of like, well, what are you guys doing? Yeah, yeah. But it was also a problem that the the kids that didn't care too much about music suddenly had like a goddamn Metallica t-shirt, right? <laughs> Targets so, selling Metallica t-shirts. Right? Yeah, yeah. Oh no. Oh shit. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, uh, and then at the same time, like there's a Norwegian metal band called Kveller, Kveller Talk. I don't know how to say it in English, mm-hmm. but they did uh, a 20, no, 36 date stadium tour with Metallica. And, and, um, and I talked to them and I said, okay, how can you afford it? Because usually when, when a band supports someone like Metallica on a tour like that, you have to actually uh, take part in paying the expenses of security and production, right? Is that right? I didn't know yeah. that. No, you buy yourself into a tour like that because the marketing uh, value of being on a tour like that is, like is life-changing, ridiculous. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so the, you're, you're kind of expected to, you know, pay, pay your the, fair uh, share. Yeah. yeah. Even if yeah, like but Metallica then, is making 10 million times what you are. <laughs> that's that's what, how it's supposed to work, right? But not with Metallica. Okay. So what, what they told me, it was really interesting. They said, um, Lars Ulrich is such a music nerd. He's, uh-huh. a, he's still a complete music nerd. So he'll go out and find <clears throat> some really interesting band and he'll say, I understand you couldn't afford that, but uh, we don't want... Def Leppard uh, supporting us. We want someone new and exciting to support us. So we'll pay you a completely normal fee per show, and you don't pay shit. That's in- that's incredible to hear. I didn't know that. Yeah. And Lars Ulrich well, gets a bad rap, right? I mean, just because of the Napster yeah. thing. Like in real reality, what he didn't want people stealing his songs. I mean, come on. What's wrong with that? I mean, yeah. the one plant, the one person on the planet who probably really didn't need that money. He went out and he sort of took that debate for everyone. For everybody, right. yeah. It wasn't about he, him and his money in his pocketbook. No, it was about no. all the other bands that were now yeah. not selling any records because yeah, yeah. I could share my Green Day album with you, or I guess that's a bad yeah. example, but I could share some like smaller band that I have the CD yeah. and I'm gonna upload yeah. it onto my drive yeah. and you can take it instead of buying it for 12 bucks. Yeah, yeah. So, so he took the hit for everyone and he was absolutely right. And what, what happened because he was so shut down, 
is that right now all the streaming services has they've, they've written such a poor agreement with all the the, the, um, the record companies that it's almost impossible for an artist to make any money off streaming, right? Because open source, free sharing, la la. Yeah. It's like he he was the only one who who tried to prevent the current situation because. Yeah, it- he did it for all of us, kind of. But he mm-hmm. came off as a fucking douchebag. Right. He was the only person who probably didn't give a fuck. Because he, <laughs> he had all the money on the world, right? Yeah, it didn't matter, right? Yeah. And then he and knew then, he was still then... going to sell a bunch of records anyway. Everyone could hate him. He was still, like, the hated guy, but everyone loved Metallica. Like, oh, Lars yeah. sucks, but I'm still going to go spend $150 on a Metallica ticket. Yeah, yeah. Because it didn't no, matter and, anyway, and it, So it's really interesting. Like, like a person that, for instance, after the Black Album and all that, you, you, and he became kind of exotic after he developed some habits, uh, I'd say. <laughs> but the, but the, he broke his but, nose. But, yeah, he broke his nose a little many, many times. But uh, but uh, but he was still, you know, an amazing person who who really followed the scene. And and if you look at their 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 tours over all these years, so many times he brought along a band that nobody knew, and he made them famous. And a lot that. of those bands, yeah, no, no, it's true. He actually took uh, another Norwegian metal band on a, on a stadium tour recently. So, so the guy is, he's not a sellout. He uses his position to help market real underground music. And he follows underground music. He, he, he's very knowledgeable about up and coming uh, metal bands. And he really made a career for our friends. I mean, imagine 36 stadium tours. We actually flew to Paris to see them support Metallica in an 80,000 stadium show. Last time we saw them was like a 300 capacity punk show. Right, a little club. Like, <laughs> yeah, so, so I mean, Metallica was, I mean, they were, they've always been real, right? Mm-hmm. But, but because a lot of people like them, we're like, oh, I don't care about them anymore. <laughs> you know? Right, that's it. That it's was like how we used people got be. shunned. It's like, oh, well, they put out the sellout record, or Lars doesn't yeah. want us to share music. Like, what is this? And then nowadays, yeah, yeah. like, every all the artists are like fighting and fighting and fighting to 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 turn overturn that. Yeah, and and I mean, when COVID hit and people realized that well, you can't even make an income on on live shows, that's when reality hit the the, the industry kind of. So. There is a, one of my favorite bands growing up from the UK was called The Charlatans. And, uh, and their, their singer, Tim Burgesson, he was the, the head of what's called the Songwriter Guild in the UK. And they, and, they got, and, they, and they started this debate, like, there is no income. There is no income if you're an alternative artist and, and you release worldwide on streaming services. It's very close to no income. And that is a problem because there is huge revenue around the streaming services and music. And I mean, everybody's paying for, for broadband or everybody's paying for 4G or 5G or whatever. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of money in this system, but very little or nothing goes to the intellectual property owners, mm-hmm. which is kind of absurd. And then in England, they even did a forecast, like a, like a super serious scientific forecast of what's gonna happen when this is the scenario of the music industry. And they kind of anticipated that within 25 years, this huge economy around music will collapse. Oh, wow. That's kind of scary. Very, yeah. Because, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it'll go into what knitting is. It's, the, it's something you do for fun. You know? Mm-hmm. It's, just because there's be no hobby. money and because no one's buying records, right? Unless you put out something like you said, like the data rock, data rock on a physical vinyl, like it's never been done. 
people mm. people want like i think physical stuff like a record is, is yeah. big now because it's something that's cool it's big yeah. it's not just like a disc that you could burn and then give it to your friend like mm. there's something to be said about uh, having a record right and like yeah but how many people buy that record and then put it on the record player and play it through all the time? It's like, they're just going to throw it on Spotify and listen to it there. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, they are. No, but it's, it, I mean, I mean, uh, I'm 44. So, I mean, I'm, I'm an adult and I remember how things used to be. And our, our friends who were in, were in bands, they would, they would uh, play shows uh, around Europe and then, and they had some kind of career, but they were bartenders at home. Mm-hmm. Or they would, you know, uh, guards in the door or whatever. Had had some whatever job, yeah, right? Side jobs, side jobs, and and um, and it it was it was okay to make very little money because we were so many who made close to nothing. So we were and we were a cool scene. Like people wanted to hang out with us. We we had all we we hung out at all the cool bars and nightclubs and all of that. Yet we had no money. Mm-hmm. There were so many of us, right? And it kind of worked. Like oh yeah, we had we have a gig and I just made. I don't know, 50 bucks or whatever. Right. Right. And it, and it, and, and it worked, but, but right now it's like, it's almost impossible to make that, those 50 bucks mm-hmm. or those 2000 or, or I mean, 200 bucks or whatever. So, so now it's like, it's really like, we used to be part of a scene where, I mean, no matter how goddamn broke you were, there was always a pub where you could afford a couple of beers. Right. Mm-hmm. But now, now, I mean, unless you have, a hell of a lot of streams you won't even make up enough for a beer right (laughs) yeah because you're making like a fraction of a penny off a stream yeah yeah exactly and then and then and and now you can't even right well for a year and a half you haven't even been able to go out to play shows right and i'm okay because i actually have a side job so so i'm okay but but that means that music has to be a hobby. Do you say hobby? Yeah, hobby. Use the word right. Hobby. So it has to be a hobby, right? And which is perhaps it's okay. I don't know. Perhaps it's okay. I mean, in Norway, you have a lot of traditional musicians who do the fiddling and you know, mm-hmm. you know, like, um, like non-commercial at all music. And you have a scene for that. And all these people has. I, I, I'm assuming they have a regular job and then they do. Yeah, the do that traditional it's still hobby, right? Or just a little extra. Then it, yeah, yeah, and and. And but by the time that happens, that is a collapse of an industry, kind of. Mm-hmm. Like like they did they did they did a survey in Ber- this is a town of three hundred and fifty thousand people, and they have like one big rock festival which goes with something like, well four four days, and uh, even in this little town, if you put together hotels, restaurant visits, bars, merchandise, and whatever people people buy in town when they're in the city to see, you know, Foo Fighters or whatever. Uh, that was, I have to do the math, let me think. It would be something like uh, $300 million. Wow. Was that, if you put every, every, everything together. like For like, that one you know, show? Like those one No, 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 for, 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 for a four-day festival. Be- because people, they fly in with airplanes. Oh, they fly in, yeah, they're staying in the hotel for three or four nights. Yeah, exactly. And, they, and then they eat. Uh, eat, drink, in restaurants, go. and well, buy a, a huge industry, right, right? It's a big thing. It's like how much the revenue yeah. the the city will make off of the one festival that's coming to town. Yeah, and then, but that's like 
what everybody collectively makes, right? Right. Like including parking your car and you know mm-hmm. filling gasoline on the car, or whatever. And and uh, uh, perhaps within a couple of decades, perhaps this doesn't work anymore because it doesn't make any sense to spend too much time focusing on this music because it's, you know, screw making a lot of money. Like nobody needs a lot of money, but you need a basic living, right? Right. It's a basic, basic, basic living. And that's, that's very, very close to impossible to generate with today's situation. Mm-hmm. And the only one who really went to the forefront of that fight was that guy who was so shut down that he's still regarded as kind of an imbecile, which is terrible. I mean, Lars Ulrich. Right. Yeah. Cause he's the one that was trying to fight for that. And yeah. then everyone hated him because they, they weren't getting their, you know, free. Yeah, I feel really sorry CD. for the guy. And then now yeah. he's probably sitting back thinking, I told you guys, I told yeah, you. He, well, that he this, did, man. Yeah. He did. He did. Uh, well, I remember uh, uh, I once, because we always considered like really dumb, dumb titles for our albums. And, uh, one of the my suggestions for title for the first album was free CD inside. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> now it's really been interesting since since they were the first, when we started in releasing music, we released on the same label as Kings of Convenience and Rakes Up and all these guys. Mm-hmm. And uh, the way the, the label worked was that it was a guy who ran this tiny little record store who just put up a, a, a label and he didn't have any money. So every time he did a release, it would, it would be a print up of 500 physical vinyl prints. That's mm-hmm. it. And then you, he, he was so indie that he didn't have a distribution company helping him. So he, he would sell individually to record stores around the world. Yet 10% would end up in Los Angeles, 10% would end up in Berlin, 10% would end up in Tokyo, London, Paris, mm-hmm. and so on. And based on and, and you wouldn't hear them on the radio. There was not there, there was nothing online to support a release. Perhaps some blogs would write the review. Perhaps you had some um, uh, forums, I don't know, but you didn't have mm-hmm. streaming, right? So mm-hmm. ba- based on, on, on 500 copies, that's it, 500 copies. All these artists, including us, started building a fan base around the world. So, so based on a, a limited printup of 500 physical copies, you could only hear us if you had access to one of those 500 copies. Yet we ended up playing in, uh, well, in Japan and all over Europe within a couple of years. That's, That's real. Oh, yeah. And how, <laughs> well, how that is real. 500 worldwide. Think about that. I mean... Mm-hmm. It's insane. Yeah. And then half of the people who would show up to your concert hadn't had the opportunity to listen to your music. They, perhaps they just wrote, they read a review in some fanzine or something. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. It wasn't it even seems- like they probably didn't have the album, obviously. No, they, no, no. Maybe a friend of a friend had it and they got to hear it twice. And then they're like, oh, well, they're coming to town. Let's go check them out. Yeah. Yet it feels like that time and day. Uh, was easier than today because now the the competition is fierce it's almost impossible to get any attention for anything right mm-hmm. and the ones who who has the the muscle and the well the apparatus and finances to actually promote something even semi real they're 
of, of course overshadowing so many other releases right mm -hmm. so it's like it's really it's really it's interesting heartbreaking uh, i guess especially for young people i mean we've we've toured the world so many times so so we've we've, we've lived this amazing life as touring artists but imagine how hard it is for a 20 year old group of guys to break through in any way whatsoever mm -hmm. They're hoping for that TikTok success, right? I mean, for you That's to say, going back for what you originally told me right when we started was like, what, like 40,000 songs come out like a day or something you were saying? Someone said, someone yeah, said. Yeah, so know, it's it, like, it, how it, do you it, cut through that? How do you, how do you? And then it, it feels like today, like half of the, half of the job is to know like the ins and outs of algorithms. Right. Right. And how, how you set up a release, like uh, you should set it up, like it should be done and ready to go half a year before the release. So you can start, you can start going to meetings with these streaming services and get, uh, into like new music Friday and, and get some help to get into the playlists and la la la. And it's like, but you don't even care about music. Like you, you really don't, you know, right. it's, it's, someone said it's easier to work with the algorithms. If you release a recording of rain, than any kind of, of genre because if you have a specific kind of bpm or beat pattern yeah then you will be limited 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 and then eventually you're so narrow that you don't fit into any algorithm whereas if it's nothing there it's easier to get into the algorithm <laughs> <laughs> that's really hilarious that is so, uh, yeah it's like it's because the streaming services own it, right? I mean, if you get on New Music Friday, that's your your streaming numbers are going to go through the roof. Yeah, I know. And it, 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 you know, even though I'm sitting here criticizing this, I also have to admit that I tried to work with it because there's no alternative. Right, you, you have know? to. You have to work yeah. with it. And, and also, it's, it's going to say sorry. it's like totally going back to the cycle of, you know, you're saying you got to set up the release six months in advance. You got to go talk to these, you know, streaming services, whoever the algorithm, people gatekeepers, it's yeah. also different. Not within the last year and a half, because it's like, if you weren't getting on the playlist and you weren't getting the radio love or whatever, at least you could go out and push your record in front of people like you guys were doing originally, right? Responding to yeah. every message on MySpace yeah. or getting in front yeah. of people all the time. But it's like, now yeah. that was all ripped up. You were pulled out from under you. And now yeah, you're man. sitting on your hands and maybe you're a new yeah. artist that were ready to finally get on a support tour or something like yeah. that. And then now yeah. what? You got to wait around for- No, why, man? I know. And, and, and for instance, there's a Norwegian band called Motorcycle. And, uh, and, and they've been like a cult uh indie band in europe for 20 years or so and and at least once a year they tour all of europe and everywhere they go it's sold out but because they're so experienced they always the dimensions are always correct right so mm -hmm. it'll sell out everywhere because they the, the dimensions are great like in this town they will only pull 200 in this town it pulled 600 or whatever right and they lived off uh their music for not 20, 30, 30, 30 years or so. And, and they're super well-known in that genre all over Europe. Uh, but if you, if you look at their streaming, none of them is above 300,000, hmm. right? So, but they, they've been living up this band for 35 years, perhaps, because they've been able to tour Europe 
once or twice a, a, a year. And they don't make a gazillion, obviously. They don't make a lot of money, but but it supports their way of but life. They're living right? life, right? They're not they're yeah. not working another job. They're no, just doing and, that. And they pay for the kindergarten for the kids and no problem with school and buying a bicycle, new computer, whatever. Right. But but uh, but uh, with COVID-19, I just wonder what happens to a scene when 100% of um, at least alternative musicians have had close to zero income. Mm-hmm. What the hell happens after one and a half year, years? That's imagine, that's really like if an area had no rain for one and a half years. I mean, you move out of there. Right. You know, you have to find something else to do, right? I mean, yeah. How do you support your family at this point? And then there really wasn't a lot of support yeah. for artists either. No, I no, mean, you weren't no, kidding. No. Of, you weren't able to get the unemployment check that everyone else could get if they lost. Exactly, it. exactly. Like I, saw, I heard this really interesting New York Times pod, uh, podcast, The Daily, where they follow uh, a bartender and he, he ends up getting $1,000 a week uh, when COVID shut down, shut down the US. $1,000 a week. That's okay. Why? Yeah, why not go? Why would you want to go back to work at that point? That's well, a problem said, that's happening right now. Exactly. But how many musicians do you reckon got a thousand dollars a week? Close to none. Yeah. So it's like it's really interesting. So what I'm afraid of is that what you're left with is like the perhaps the least creatively interesting artists uh, and the most well commercially adaptable artists after something like this. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm well, interesting. I, I wonder if you th- there's very few countries in this world that really embrace the music and the artists and will help support them financially. And, and I wonder why that is like Canada is a great example of, of a country yeah. or New Zealand that will straight up fund a record for people. If they can prove yeah. like they really want to do this and succeed, that they'll mm. give them money like a scholarship. Right. And they'll, they'll help yeah. pay for an album. But I wonder, like here in the States, if they if it's just looked at as a hobby, like, oh, well, you're not really a work. You're not really working. I understand that. you, yeah. you Like it's almost like they they they're saying that you're not really yeah. working because they're not saying like, well, now you don't have your job. You can still sit mm-hmm. at home and play guitar, can't you? It's like, well, yeah, but I can't make uh-huh. any money like I could before. It's like no one was getting yeah. that respect. I don't think. Yeah. At least in the States. No, I hear you. I have to say that I I think also Ireland has the same kind of setup and Norway. Oh, Norway Norway does. Okay. Norway does. Yeah. So, but I'll tell you, like the first time we were invited to the US, like our first show in the US was actually Knitting Factory in New York City. Really? That's interesting. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. No, wait a minute. Wait a minute. We added on um, Empty Bottle in Chicago on the way. Okay. And that's how we were actually picked up by Tom Windish, who ended up like becoming like the number one alternative booking agent in the US. He had like Lord and all oh, that. Oh, jeez. Okay. Yeah. So uh, he was actually, it was, that, this is a funny story. When we met the guy, he only booked like techno artists, a very like underground electronic artists. And then mm-hmm. uh, he ended up having Justice and, uh, and all this stuff, including us. And then, and then when he got married, he actually got the. Um, uh, Jared Leto to oh really become, thirty seconds become a minister oh. yeah to become a minister so he could 
he could oh, so win I can them. marry I him. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that's so funny. I just did that, <laughs> yeah. dude. It's so hilarious. So I did that to marry my brother-in-law recently. Oh, really? Yeah. Like there's this thing called the Universal Life Church. And my brother-in-law calls right. me. He's like, dude, like we're doing a very small wedding and we're going to yeah. do it in Big Bear. And it's only yeah. going to be, you yeah. know, our family. And would you do, would you, uh-huh. you know, be the minister? And I was like, sure, let me yeah. figure out how to do it. If you're 18 and have an email address, you're in. <laughs> nice. I love <laughs> That's it. That's all you need. I love it. Wow. <laughs> That's probably what Jared Leto did too. Yeah. No, but uh, uh, I'm just saying like that, that very first. Well, okay. So on the way, we also stopped in Toronto and did a show with the Wolf Parade or something like that. I don't remember. But anyway, so let me tell you a little story. So, so we were invited to play these shows in the US and, and, and back then flying was really, really expensive. So, Mm-hmm. So going to the U.S. to do a show that basically didn't pay anything. It was like we couldn't because we were just students, right? So then I, I contacted the, the, the department in town who gives out these kind of scholarships to music. And they said, oh, but, but that budget is empty. And then I asked them, what do you mean that budget is empty? Well, that music business uh, money is, is, is empty. And I'm like, okay, so, but you're saying there is a lot of money laying around that could be available if we were something else than a band. So why don't you just regard us as, as an export article, uh, commercial entity and support us as uh, increasing our international competence or something like that. And then they were like, well, shit, we never thought about that. Sure. And then they got us $2,000. Wow. The, so you just went around, a, you did a loophole, right? I mean, you yeah, just came yeah. up as a, we're not a band, we're a this. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I have to tell this story because, because what that little support, it's not little, I realized that, but it was very exp- expensive traveling to the US, right? So mm-hmm. it basically helped cover the cost. And, and I think we got something like $10 for the show. I don't know. Like really close to nothing, right? And, uh, but, but the truth of the matter is because of this trip, we ended up working with Steve Aoki and the, I mean, sorry, uh, Tom Windish and the Windish agency. Uh, we ended up doing 22 tours in the US alone, but, we, but because of the US success, we also ended up playing all over Latin America numerous times and touring 36 countries. Mm-hmm. So because we got a little bit of money in the beginning, we ended up taxing our exported um, intellectual properties back home in Norway, right? So it was an investment in future revenue. You don't give that scholarship, you should fund. You give mm-hmm. it just like you give fucking, uh, uh, I, I don't know, a weapon company. <laughs> I don't know. Like, right, right. Like you, you, you're, like you support all kinds of industries. And, and it makes sense because there is real revenue in music. And on top of that, um, everybody knows that it's such an important part of our culture. And that's not just a term. That's our mental, emotional health. Mm-hmm. That's our social life. And that's how we connect with other people. And so it should be regarded as not only uh, a business in this, the same way as any other business, but you should, they should also give it extra credit because we are important in the well-being of mankind. Kind of. It should be an essential business, right? Yeah. They yeah. give that to strip clubs. Strip clubs were essential businesses here in the United Was States. Really? They were allowed to stay open. That's interesting. Isn't <laughs> it? it? Essential. Essential, essential business. business. So they, there wow. was very few things that could stay open during 
COVID. But strip joints. They were an essential business. Isn't that bizarre? That is, you need to write an article because people don't know that. That's hilarious. I love, <laughs> yeah. I, I love it. I love it. Yeah, it was the same thing in Norway. One of the essential businesses was like uh, the massage parlors where you can get a, get a yeah, massage. Yeah, of course, right? It's like, it, so the, it, what's fascinating is like the gatekeepers that are deciding this. It's like, where yeah. are their heads at? They're like, oh, we got to make sure that the strip clubs and massage <laughs> yeah. parlors are over because then my weekend's screwed. Oh, no. That, yeah. Oh, no. That's terrible. <laughs> Same thing in Norway with the massage places. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't differentiate between like a professional massage institute like a masseuse, like yeah doctors and all that. it was like i'm sure it was happy endings involved you know what i mean <laughs> of course <laughs> <laughs> hey give me a second i'm just gonna pick up something to drink okay oh, uh, let me see oh it looks like a beer but it isn't a beer it's a it's Root a beer. fermented botanical uh, tonic and ah. it comes with uh it comes with coffee and what else is there is it in this? It doesn't say in English everything, but it's it's a it's bizarre like a, taste. It's like a like a sparkling water with some coffee in it, or well, yeah, or the yeah, the taste of coffee and some herbs. It's um, it's particularly uh, weird, but it, it it'll <laughs> it'll help me get through the day. <laughs> I like it. What time are you? You said you're in Norway. What time is it there? I'm just curious. Oh no, it, it's not bad at all. It's uh, half past four. In the afternoon, yeah. What about okay. you? Like, what time of day is? I mean, well, I'm in I'm in Nashville. I'm I'm originally from yeah. Southern California. I grew up born and raised in San Diego. My family and I, right during this virus, we moved t- to Tennessee. I'm in Nashville now. Ah, nice. Okay, I'll tell you something. We ever since Coachella, we've been sponsored by Gibson, and we came into Gibson's. Uh, 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 what is it called? What is it like called? Their factory or something? No, the show showroom in Los oh, Angeles. Okay. And and all the all the guitars they had there was like so weird, like weird, weird, weird custom versions of all the standard guitars. And I was like, I don't know if I can play any of that stuff. <laughs> but what is that doing there? And they had these weird ass Steinberger guitars, which like headless guitar uh-huh. with like oh yeah, where that looks like they're wrapped. The strings are kind of like wrapped around the neck. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. And I was like, wait, what the hell is that doing there? I love those guitars. And they said. You really love that guitar, then and then we ended up being sponsored by Gibson via Steinberger because nobody cared about the about the brand, and then we realized that Steinberger, which was it, it became famous in well the bass came in 1978 and the guitar came in 1982, and the one who made it famous was Johnny Winter. And and this these weird guitars last seen in music videos by In Excess, like you uh-huh. never seen these see these these guitars anymore. But but David Gilmore toured with them. Even Kiss toured with them. Like it was really? it, it used to be a big deal, but it's kind of faded away, I guess. But it's so the the weird data rock guitars that look uh-huh. like like they're just some prop that we got made for us. Right. Is is actually a handmade guitar in Nashville. Really? Yeah. So Steinberger is is like it's real craftsmanship. And even though they look like futuristic and uh, like very mass produced, it's like superb craftsmanship from Nashville. So I've done a thousand shows with the handmade guitar from Nashville. Wow. Did you get to come out here and, and like watch them create the guitar for you? No, damn, I didn't. I have played, played in Nashville a couple of times, but no, never. 
I well, wish I would. I, I want to. I'll do it. You should come back to Nashville soon because mm-hmm. uh, I want to hang with you. You're uh, such a fun individual. <laughs> this has been yeah, great. I, I appreciate it. I'd, I'd love that. I'd love that. <laughs> yeah. Like we even took one of those like really, really touristy trips with with a horse and carriage. Oh, right. Like okay. <laughs> yeah. We went to a bar. Someone was playing country music and we thought, our drummer would be so confused from the setting that he wouldn't discover that we poured whiskey in his soda because he doesn't drink. Oh, he, he didn't oh discover my. It. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, with Nashville, yeah, we played we played with the Lady Tron in Nashville. Oh, really? I love Lady Tron. Yeah, That's cool. we, we came. It's it's quite a few years ago, but it was a lot of fun. That's yeah. cool. Well, I, Nashville. Nice. Hopefully, come back. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Well, Do you have I'd any love pl- to. Yeah, do you have any plans to tour? Like, stuff's opening up now, right? I mean, a little bit yeah. here in the States. Yeah. Like, are you well, going to okay, so do I, that? I have, are you going to do a 16th uh, yeah. year anniversary tour? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'll tell you what we're going to do. Because, because I think it was very healthy for me to get sort of this solo material out of the system. Because, I mean, I didn't write those songs last year. I was just lying. Just some of them were written last year. I, I made uh. them over many years, right? So, because, you know, if you're, if you, if you're a guitarist, you're... You, you you constantly make riffs and uh-huh. You're always and like like playing. small sketches and yeah. yeah like sketches and stuff so so what i did was i mean some of the material is brand new but some of the elements i i came up with that with those things back in 2002 and stuff right so 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 some of it is like just small little things elements that i came up with a long time ago and then i sort of i and i haven't haven't recorded any of it it was just from remembering uh-huh. so like and then I built those ideas out to songs. So none of them are done before. So I, but I remembered all of these interesting things that I sort of came up with over, I guess, o- almost 20 years. And I'll tell you something, like when Data Rock kind of breaks, broke through, uh, the first time we were played on BBC Radio 1 was when John Peel played my solo stuff. Really? So I, 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 yeah, so I released two solo, solo singles in 2000, and I don't remember, two or three. And, and I even met John Peel. And for the ones who don't know he, who he is, he's the godfather of alternative radio. Mm-hmm. And he was the career maker of everything from U2 and The Cure and The Fall to you know, modern day alternative music. So John yeah, Peel he's a is legend. a god. Yeah, he's he a legend. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and I met him once and I actually didn't recognize him. So, <laughs> but we just chatted along and he was very polite and he said he loved my music and he played it on his show and blah, blah, blah. And then, and then I thought it was kind of, it was kind of a little bit embarrassing to be a solo artist because you, because, because music is supposed, you're supposed to be a, a gang or a group. Right. Like right? A unit. Yeah. Yeah. And like, it was really interesting. I heard an interview once with one of the guys from, um, Kings of Comedians, who had done a solo album, which was well received. And he said, uh, it's so much nicer to even deal with defeat as a group than it is to celebrate the victory alone. That's a beautiful you know? quote. Yeah, I know. It's and the guy I was very I was I was surprised when he came up with that quote. But yeah, he winged up in an interview and I was like, God damn. Well said, Arlan. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, and it, to- it, it and it that's what kind of music is all about, I guess, right? It's it is supposed to be a collaborative thing and connect people and all of that camaraderie there with the with- camaraderie, yeah, 
And what and a, would so, you say? Like, does that stand true to you? Like, would you feel like if you have a huge victory with the solo record that it's kind of like a party of one? Like, yeah, I did awesome. Or is yeah, it like, is no, it more of like no, a no. With data rock? Like, yeah, we all, you know, it's kind of like, yeah. No, I, I, I mean, even on my solo, I play everything, but someone else helped me make it, right? Mm-hmm. And like, for instance, the artwork is, do you remember the Oscars this year? It was a very colorful illustration of the Oscar statue. I don't remember, to be honest. I didn't really watch it. <laughs> no, no, so who, who did? No, no, who <laughs> did? But, but, the, but the illustrator who did the entire Oscars 2021, 2021, mm-hmm. he's a friend of mine, and he made the artwork for the album. Oh, right. cool. Uh-huh. So, so for him to, if I had some success with this album, it would be nicer for him to have spent so much time doing artwork for three singles than an album, right? Right. So for me, so even a solo release isn't on your own. But, but being able to travel with your friends and, I mean, with Data Rock, we've basically been just, we're all just super close friends. We're like, there's no professional person who came into the equation just because he was a, 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 a high quality musician. Yeah. We, no, we're, we're just friends. Right. So, um, uh, so, so I sort of like, and I also did a, an EP called Chamonix of Paris where I sing in pretend French cause I don't know how to speak French, but I <laughs> didn't have much French. on my heart to say. So I just pretend that I'm saying shit in French. Why was that? And, and, Why did you decide to do that? Uh, well, the songs are really weird, and I don't think you should say anything serious in those songs because it's so super weird. <laughs> but, okay. But uh, well, yeah, you can. I, I can send you a link. You can check it out. It's really, it's pretty funny. I, I, I sang one of the songs on the concert in in Greek Hall uh, for the release concert. I also sang my original solo releases, whom a lot of them ended up on Data Rock recordings. So, for instance, I will always remember you. Uh, which was put in the international version of Dedrick's debut album, was a solo single played by John Peel and great reviews and music oh, publications wow. around the world. Same thing with Gungor Girl. A lot of the songs on the Red Album was recorded as a solo EP and I had to push it in there because we had to make the Red Album in between something like 150 shows that year, right? Yeah. In 28 countries, by the way. So I had to put in songs that I had actually recorded for a solo EP. But anyway, so because of data, because that became such a uh, active band, I just stopped doing solo stuff. And then, but then I, I, I think it's a problem when you try to fit too much into one concept, right? So we try to push a little bit of that stuff into data rock, and and then perhaps data rock became something I wasn't supposed to be. I don't know. But now that I know that I uh, was able to do something this this solo material. I think it'll be easier for us to move forward as a band mm-hmm. where I don't have to say like, but I have this great idea. I want to do this. Shut the fuck up. Fuck off. I'm going to do everything alone in the studio, which has happened many times. <laughs> so, uh, so like, like, I'll tell you something funny. Like one of the most played songs on uh, at least radio over here, the last, on the last releases was a song called Catcher in the Rye. Mm-hmm. And and as a band went in the studio and it was and I was like I wrote the song so shut the fuck up but everybody was like oh no let's do it this way we should do it this way and I was like fuck it then I without talking to the rest of them I went into a different studio and I and, and I did a completely alternative version of the song and uh, and I was so happy with it. I was like 
check it out. This is the this is my new version, and luckily they liked it more than the others. So, so I just recorded everything. Was like, <laughs> That's funny. Like, yeah, so she, I did this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, and it ended up, you know, being a, a much played song. So that, uh, luckily, but anyway, so <laughs> so no, I'll tell you what's gonna happen because. Because, I mean, we're adults, right? Someone got ma- gets married, they get a kid, they can't tour anymore. One of the guys had to take a break because he wrote the PhD, right? Wow. One of them had to take a break because he became a very profiled TV personality in Norway. And like yeah. everybody has some, yeah. So, but we're such a kind of large group of affiliated members that that's never been a problem. That it, you want to take a break, that's okay. Then someone else can step in and they can travel with us. You want to take a break... So anyway, so I'm the only one who has done all the shows. Right? Well, kind of, right? I feel kind of that'd be kind of bizarre not to see to see Data Rock without you singing the songs, right? Yeah, well, once <laughs> we played Summer Sonic in Tokyo, and uh, the, the exact date of the show was the due date of our second daughter. Okay. So, so we actually set it up so they could pretend they sang my my voice. But then the wow. kid was born a week before, so I could fly in and be part of the show. But they were supposed to be there without me. Did you like? Did you guys do a show, mock show, like in a studio? Like, how would you even pull that off? Yeah, we recorded my 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 kind of live vocals, so it sounded like it was, I was live on stage. And then one of the other guys was just gonna stand in front of the microphone, pretending that it was his voice. <laughs> <laughs> did you I do think, like banter I, in between the songs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, He's gonna go you. like. Yeah, how you doing? Yeah. And, then, and then, and because we were in that mentality, when we came to Summer Sonic, I actually got the, the, the guy who took care of us to shout things in Japanese when I had a microphone pretending it was me shouting it in Japanese. <laughs> no, but so, okay, oh, so what funny. happens next year? What happens now? Because I kind of got this little, all these I, musical ideas kind of out of the system. I, I just, I told everybody, why don't we do everybody on stage like everybody so not every everybody but all the ones who have done like you know at least 200 shows mm-hmm. so so next year at least 200 we'll, that's the cutoff <laughs> you gotta play with us <laughs> 200 times <laughs> no but, but i mean i'm not joking it's been a thousand shows in 36 countries right so mm-hmm. they, most of them have played like 500 or more right right right, right. or, or uh, around 500 but so next year I found the term for double vision. You, when you're drunk and you see double. Yeah. That's called diploplia. So we should recruit diplo. He should be part of it. Diploplia. But it, but it means double vision. So, so next year, we're, we started booking Daedrox double vision tour and we'll be twice as many people on stage. That's cool. So be two, two drummers, two bass players, two keyboard players. But, but one of the keyboards players keyboard players play, plays saxophone and a lot of percussion and then i'll play the guitar and sing so we'll be seven people on stage so that's what we're doing now so so what we're doing now is we're we're writing songs that will work as seven people that is cool and then are you working are you gonna do the 15 year tour too or are you gonna play that record at all or yeah, well, like, yeah, well, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, pieces yeah. of it, but you're not going to do, it's yeah. not going to be like, no. we're going to do this full album and no. celebration train, of it. But that's a cool, left, man. yeah, but that's cool. Yeah. That's really cool to bring everybody together yeah. like that. Yeah, like, 
Yeah, like if you if you check out Datarock's Instagram, which I guess is Datarock underscore official, then you see like a, last week, like everybody got together. It was really funny because some because so, some of us haven't seen each other in a while, and it took mm-hmm. like a split second to become the same group that was you know touring 250 days a year. We used to tour 250 days a year for at least five years. That's incredible. That's like beyond me. Like, <laughs> and so the it, worst part of it is that it was it didn't feel stressful or weird or anything. It was it felt like this is how our life is supposed to be. Right now, I, I can't really understand myself, but at the time, it was our that was our life, you know. Mm-hmm. Wow, <laughs> insane. So you guys, are I don't think that. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say. So you guys are you're putting this thing together now. Is it going to be like a worldwide? thing or where you well, we, we, we hope so but i think it'll it'll be very hard to i think everybody wants to get out on the road like mm-hmm. everybody not not only young new bands but all the old bands right everybody needs to go out on the road right so we're kind of, kind of well we're excited to see what we can get we only have a couple of festivals booked already but okay. um well, yeah, my it's dream like everyone's that was supposed to play in 2020 are now booking out 2022 yeah. almost, right? So yeah. like, yeah, there's no space. No, no. But uh, luckily, we have a couple of bookings already. But um, well, I have to say, like my favorite uh, countries to uh, to tour was because okay, the U.S. is special because we know. I mean, I've only been to Nashville a couple of times as as a musician tourist, but I've known about Nashville since I was a child. Right, right. You, you know about so many parts of the U.S. since you were a child, and you, and you, well, and you know so much about all the states and all the cities and all of that. But for me to come to some random city in Switzerland, like it's fun, but I don't know why I'm here. You know, right, <laughs> so, right, right. Yeah, and we're like we're very U.S. centric, so we really want to go back to the U.S. Okay, we always had a lot of fun in Mexico and and Brazil and Argentina. And obviously Australia, because we always well, we always used to do all these huge festivals. So that would be a lot of fun to be able to revisit that. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely Japan, because it's just the most exotic part of the planet. Because it's so similar to what you're used to, yet so different, right? Mm-hmm. And then, well, I hope I have to say, I the one festival that we never played, that is, I'm like, God damn it, we never played it. That's Glastonbury, and it oh, really, really bugs me. And it bugs me. You Fuck, feel like man. you'd be a good fit for that festival. I yeah, like. I don't know why we never played. Like, everybody plays Glasgow. I mean, Glastonbury. Why the hell did we never play Glastonbury? And it's like, it's one of those things that I need to be able to cross off the list before I die, you know? <laughs> it's a I mean, bucket list. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that. And it's also Primavera in, in, in Barcelona. I'd love to play that. Also Fuji Rock in Japan. I'd love to do that. And uh, I, I mean, we played Lollapalooza, but that was in Santiago, Chile. Oh, you didn't do the, sti- the one in the States? No, I want to do it in the States, obviously. Yeah. That would be, that would be good. Yeah, so hopefully, hopefully at least some, some of the countries we can visit as soon That's, as possible. Yeah. What about a so- Are you going to tour the solo record or was that just kind of something you wanted to get out? No, 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 no. I, I, uh, I really want to perform it live. So, so that's, that's the idea. That's the idea. But I, okay, I have to admit that because, because we didn't have like a big business plan or we didn't have any, we didn't have any plan whatsoever. So 
instead of doing the right thing to plan it half a year in advance and all of that, it was just, I got booked at this big festival. I knew I was going to do the show in this huge hall. I was going to have the strings there and blah, blah, blah. So I just decided, oh, I'm playing there in two months. Let's put that as a release date. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Terrible idea. No, that makes but a lot the, of, that makes sense, right? Yeah, at least it did for me, but I don't, I don't think it was necessarily too clever. Yet again, I don't care because I just wanted to do that. So, <laughs> so, so we released an album, but before this summer, it was very hard to do many shows this summer because things are still pretty much shut down. Mm-hmm. And what's open is already booked, oh. right? But what I, what I really want to do is, um, it's very hard to, to tour with that, those kind of strings because, I mean, just the cello itself is like, probably like $40,000, right? You can't travel with. Yeah, I mean, these people's instruments are 300 years old. Sure. Right? So, and Weren't you I, a cello I, player? Yeah, I was, I was, I was. How do you know that? I'm just, I, <laughs> I just know these <laughs> yeah. things, man. I'm well, like Nostradamus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're like Nard- Nardwar. You're Nardwar. Like Nardwar. Yeah. <laughs> he but once yeah, interviewed me. Did you no, really get yeah, interviewed? Was, he's he's yeah. what did he give you as a gift? Doesn't he always bring somebody a gift? Mm-mm. This was before he became like massively famous. It was it was a TV no ra- uh, tele- um, radio interview on on an old shitty cell phone, so I could barely hear what he said, and it was so <laughs> weird. I like I really had to concentrate not to say what the fuck is wrong with you, man. Like he was <laughs> such a weirdo. Like. Uh, I'm playing a show. I have 30 minutes to eat before the rest of this day is kind of hysteric. And I have to do this interview and I don't understand your humor. Like I really had to concentrate because I I didn't know who he was. But then, uh, and it was so poor. um, I couldn't hear what he said really. But I'm very happy it happened. Like again, if you go to Datarock's uh, Instagram, you you can see animated segments of the interview. Really? I'll have to check it out. That's funny. Yeah, so it's all on Instagram and, uh, and on Datarock's official YouTube channel. doesn't have a lot of uh, views, but it's pretty hilarious. Yeah, I know. I got to check it out now. That's funny. Yeah. Well, no, but, okay, so... Go ahead. Excuse me? Nothing. No, just to it. reply to your question, I, 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 really, I really want to... Not, not that too many people cares, I guess, but I really want to do some shows with just a guitar and voice. Because... You never see that or very rarely see that, uh-huh. especially for someone who has done a thousand shows and has had some kind of a little bit of a commercial success with very yeah. o- overly produced music. And you just say, this is the essence of this crap. It's just six strings and a vocal, you mm-hmm. know, which is fascinating so I really, to think about. Right. I mean, it is, it is, it is. It is. So, uh, yeah. So, and I love like, you know, when you end up in, I bet you have like a thousand places like that in Nashville, but, but you know, like the Troubadour and yeah. in Los Angeles, when you see like, like really stripped down shows there mm-hmm. or a, a tiny little place like pianos in New York city, or I really like it when you can, with so few means you can create images and emotions. Right. Mm-hmm. So I really want to do that. So yeah, yeah. That, maybe that'll be on the books, a uh, uh, solo guitar tour. Yeah. Yeah, I, sh- I probably shouldn't, but I want to do it. That's cool. No, I think you definitely <laughs> should do it. That would be—I think people would love that. There's—I love seeing those type of shows. This really stripped down, like acoustic shows. When 
a, you know, a front man of a band will come through town and they're just playing yeah. their songs yeah, on like maybe an acoustic guitar or electric guitar. Or I think there's yeah. something really special about that. One of my favorite moments, because uh, I used to book shows, like hundreds and hundreds of shows. So I was, a, 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 what is it called? Uh, like a promoter? promoter. Okay. Yeah. And like, like so I actually, my own uh, event was called Frederick's Wonderful Evening because it was so crazy. Like That's half cool. of it was noise artists. And like- That should be your experiment. tour for your solo tour. Frederick's yes, Wonderful Frederick. Evening. Okay, got it, got it, all right. <laughs> yeah. No, but the, like we would have like ruins from Japan and like like really like uh, Russell Haswell and Florian Hacker and all these like absolutely lunatics. But I was kind of presented like a variety show and like, or like uh, take the microphone and say like, shut up everybody, uh, pay attention to the stage. We have this Japanese duo that you'll never hear about ever again, but pay attention motherfuckers. And then, <laughs> and then everybody would like gather around the stage like it was a jazz show or, or so. And then, and then it would be some lunatic act, right? And, and it was always jam packed, like 350 on a Sunday for a Japanese wow. duo nobody had ever heard about before. Anyways, one day, uh, Archer Pruitt and Sam Precop from the C and Cake, the Chicago band C and Cake, they, they were in town and they played a show so poorly promoted that nobody was there. And and I went up to them and I said, "Dude, I mean, you have such a following in this city. It's embarrassing to see that nobody showed up to your show. Would you would you want to show play at my place tomorrow? And I can assure you, we'll we'll jam pack the place." And they, they said, "Yeah, why not? We're here." And then next day. Sam Pruitt, I mean Archer Pruitt and Sam Precop, they came over to to the club, and uh, which was in a gallery, by the way. So it was like carpet on the floor, actually up on the walls. Very peculiar wow. place. And it looked like a scene out of what is it called? 2001 Space. Space What's Oddity? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Looked like something like that. And then and they came with, they had a Dino Chord guitar, identical guitars and they had like fender twin amps and that was it so you have these two men sitting on bar stools and then identical guitars identical amplifiers that's it and you 300 people were just you know completely quiet and it was just magical for one and a half hours completely jammed by 24 hour, uh, hour notice and and when you hear two hit two men sit like that and just you know no effects on the guitar, no nothing. It was just fucking amazing, you know. Yeah, and you, you rarely experience that. I guess you, you, you in certain genres, you do, but not in alternative experimental music. Not ever, ever, right? Mm -hmm. I think you should do it. I think people will love that. I think that'll be something special for, especially for you know, longtime data rock fans to see you just come up and play guitar and sing yeah yeah I, yeah okay i'll do it and and what's really interesting is because so many people have heard me sing the shout and scream sing right mm -hmm. and because they're so used to this shouting and screaming they, they become very impressed when i can sing like normal right so like oh you're such a good singer i'm probably not a better singer than anyone but because they're so used to the screaming, they're like, oh, it's so nice when you sing, you know, because I don't <laughs> scream, right? So uh, they're like, oh, I really loved the show. It was so soothing. <laughs> yeah, that's great. <laughs> Just because it's, a, it's such an opposite, opposite to what they're used of, to. Right? right, exactly. Exactly. Yeah.
Well, yeah, okay, I, I'll do it. It's I a think deal. you should. I think you should. All right. All right. So, and you better you accepted by me. And play in Nashville. We'll figure it out. I high five. Deal. Oh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you, Frederick, so much for doing this, man. You are so cool. I really appreciate it. Well, likewise. Thank you so much. This you made my awesome. day. I've been sitting in Norway. It's a boring day. And then I get to talk to a guy in Nashville. That's cool. Thank you. This is cool. This, thank you so much. Um, I have one more question before I let you go. Yeah. Do you have any advice for aspiring artists? Yeah, I, this is I, I, I recently. I don't remember his name, but but some top producer guy. I don't remember his. I'm so sorry. I don't remember his name. But but I was at this conference where this question was asked by a young producer, and then he said something, which is so obvious to me, but obviously not obvious to everyone else. And he said, he said, uh, for instance, electronic production used to be so depending on your skills and your access to uh, equipment and, uh, and stuff. So, so, so electronic music used to be so individualistic because you really had to know how to twist and turn the machinery and the pro programs and stuff. But today, uh, music is so generic and so similar because people are using so many presets and exactly the same uh, equipment and it, it's no big difference between really expensive and pretty affordable uh, equipment and sound banks and all of that. And he said, uh, so it's very easy for a young person to somehow um, copy or put their songwriting or pr production very close to something that is already commercially successful. It's very easy. So you can probably today you can probably take whatever mega hit and a lot and, of them uh, like that. The first yeah, thing I think yeah. of is Olivia Rodrigo, the new, her, how she's blowing up. But a lot of her stuff is I know, a little too similar to other songs that were already. <laughs> I, I I know I know and 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 um and he just said he just said because uh, he's I, I, I'm sorry I don't remember his name but he said he's been part of so many so many successes, but he has never been part of a success which was a replica of something already existing, right? Mm -hmm. So um, chances that even if, you're, if you can really emulate whatever is already out there, it's too late. That ship is gone. Nobody wants you to do the same as someone else. And if you try to copy someone else, that someone else probably is going to make a much better version of themselves than you were able to. Right. So, so, so uh, I, I don't think necessarily anyone can learn anything from data rock or should learn anything from data rock, but, but we've been like super true to just doing our thing. Like we, when we made Fa Fa Fa, we, we, that was a, fa, that was a talking heads inspired song, but nobody had been listening to talking heads for like 20 years when we released that song. Mm -hmm. Like we released it in 2005 or yeah, in five and, and last time Talking Heads released anything was a song to a film in 1991. And nobody was listening to Talking Heads. So we didn't take inspiration from Talking Heads and television, by the way, for that song because we thought it was clever. It was just because that was our thing. We, we took inspiration from all sorts of super odd sources. Mm -hmm. we, we, never, we, never tried to, we never tried to do a clever move. We just tried to find our signature sound kind of. 
And then we took, our signature was to take elements from all sorts of different things, I have to admit. But I think any, my only advice is to do exactly what you want. And uh, if you don't do exactly what you want, you might end up doing something that you're not proud of or that it'll be uncomfortable for you. And so you should focus on your individuality and your own signature.